Hi, and welcome back to the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. We have a special guest today. Uh, Those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know I've been so excited about the new anthology. This is our rainbow, 16 stories of her, him, them, and us. We have one of the editors on today, Catherine Locke, who is also the author of The Girl with the Red Balloon, a 2018 Sydney Taylor honor book and 2018 Carolyn W. Field honor book, as well as The Spy with the Red Balloon and the forthcoming This Rebel Heart. They are the co-editor and contributor to It's a Whole Spiel, Love, Latkes, and Other Jewish Stories, and This is Our Rainbow, um, as we mentioned, 16 stories of her, him, them, and us, and contributed to Unbroken, 13 stories starring disabled teens, and Out Now, Queer We Go Again. They are also the author of the picture book, books Bedtime for Superheroes, and Being Friends with Dragons, and What Are Your Words? Uh, On today, we're going to be discussing not only the existing work that Catherine Locke has put out into the universe, but also a bit about Catherine Locke's process. Uh, There are a number of links that will be discussed on this episode. They're all over waiting for you in the show notes. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. I am so thankful to Catherine Locke for making and taking the time today. So Catherine Locke, thank you so much for taking the time today. Um, You know, again, listeners of my show, show. I think the past really five episodes, it's really interesting. Your your recent book, not your most recent, but your recent book, What Are Your Words, has come up in almost every one of my most recent conversations, which is great. So um, again, a lot of the listeners are, are fans of what you do. And I wanted to talk about the new anthology that you ed- edited. Uh, this is our rainbow, 16 stories of her, him, them, and us. And when I was doing a little bit of research um, last February, when LGBTQreads.com reported on you know the upcoming book and the cover, um, it they say in this post that the anthology started with a tweet. Is that is that it true? Did. Can you confirm? It did. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for having me on, and I love to hear that words is reaching an audience. That means so much to me. That book is really special. Um, and yeah, this is our rainbow has such a funny origin story. And it starts with Delia Adler, who's an author and the owner of LGBTQ Read. She's the mastermind behind all of it. And she tweeted out one day that she hoped somebody was working on a middle grade anthology with queer stories. uh, And that middle grade is not her lane. So she hopes somebody else was working on that. And my co-editor, Nicole Mellaby replied and was like, I would love to do that, but I don't know how to do an anthology. And Dahlia was like, let me hook you up with my friend Catherine, who has done an anthology and really enjoys the logistics of anthologies. So you guys would work together well. And so that worked out really well. Like Nicole and I had amazingly never crossed paths before she reached out and was like, hey, Dahlia told me I should talk to you about anthologies. Would you want to do this with me? Um, And we chatted on the phone and we clicked right away. Like it was instant, like, yes, we have the same vision for this. Yes, we want to work together. It came together so quickly. And our editor, Marissa DeNovis, also replied to Dahlia's tweet and was like, this is my dream project. So when we put it together, I think the tweet was like in early August, like late July, early August. We put it together and we went on submission at the end of September, and we made sure that Marissa was on that list, and it sold almost right away to Marissa. 
That's so, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, and the vision for it, I'd actually, I'd, I'd love to dig into a little bit because I love, yeah. um, you know, as soon as you open the book, um, this question, what does our rainbow look like? And I, I'm just going to quote part of it. Uh, I love that it, it says, with 16 stories, including two short comics, This Is Our Rainbow is an anthology that's inclusive, proud, and joyful. Um, and I, I kind of, I, I love that the word joyful is in italics. And I wonder if you want to just talk a little bit more about kind of the concept and your vision um, for the anthology and why that word joyful, of course, is, is so important. Yes. That was like the singular thing that we wanted this anthology to be. It was really, really important to both Nicole and myself that um, that this anthology was optimistic and it was hopeful and it was joyful. And that didn't mean that it couldn't have poignant moments or kind of bittersweet moments, but that the end of each story was forward-looking and optimistic and um, had a bright spot. And we felt like that was really important. So like, even if a reader wasn't there in their own life yet, that they could see a way to have a queer, joyful life that was full and bright and full of rainbows. And it wasn't all sad, even if that's what they've seen in other books, or that's where they are right now. We wanted to say like, this is um, not permanent and that queer life is joyful and it is full of bright things and great friendships and fun crushes and new kittens and pirate adventures and boy bands and fandom and um, so many more things in the world. And that really, I mean, it comes across throughout the entire collection. You also just have an amazing group of writers on this project. Um, and of course, uh, you have a story in here as well. I'm wondering how that team sort of came together. Um, again, some amazing, amazing authors listed on, on this book. Yeah, we were really lucky. We reached out, you know, we came up with a list that we felt like, okay, if we were coming up with a dream list, who would be in this anthology? And we started reaching out to authors um, and not all of them had written short fiction before. So some of them um, had not written short fiction and this was new to them, but that they were willing to do that and to take that chance and to do something new and exciting. And we, we got everyone we wanted into the anthology, which was pretty amazing. I wish oh. we could have fit 15, 20 more stories into the anthology, but you know, we are limited. It has to be one book length. <laughs> so uh, we were stuck at 16. And so we, we picked 16 people. We felt like we're going to write fun, interesting stories who are usually already working in the middle grade space in some way. Um, so that if their name wasn't familiar to a kid reader, that they had other things that a kid reader could reach for. And um, who knew the age group? Like it's a really particular age group. And we want to make sure that we are reaching readers where they were um, I think I might be the only writer in the group for whom this was my first middle grade. I, I think that might be true. I can't guarantee it, but I think that might be true. Well, and I'm, I'm kind of curious too, you know, launching a book in the middle of a pandemic, yeah. um, you know, certainly on my end from what my Twitter feed looks like, there's like, you know, just been kind of a, just a wonderful response to the text. And I'm kind of wondering like, what has the launch process been like? Are you doing in-person events or is the vast majority of it just virtual? It's a great question. So this is my fourth book I've launched during the pandemic. Um, I hope that there are no more books that I launched during the pandemic. So yeah, it's been a, a long 
20 months or wherever we're at now. Um, I wish we could be doing in-person events, but we're doing virtual events still. Um, The readers in our age group are not yet vaccinated. So we felt it was not safe uh, or responsible to be doing in-person events yet. Hopefully, maybe early next year, we can start doing some in-person events and in-person school visits because we would love to do that. Our contributors would love to do that. Uh, We feel like that would be really important for this book. We want to see readers face-to-face, but we also want to give that age group, 5 to 12, you know, that age group just got approved for vaccines. We want to give them the opportunity to um, get vaccinated. And and for you, uh, I'm wondering sort of, you know, comparing the experience of launching books in a pandemic, uh, you know, versus beforehand, are you still at least getting, you know, like kind of that that feedback and uh, being able to enjoy that celebration of, uh, of again, readers having this this anthology is a historic, um, you know, publication. Yeah. And I'm kind of wondering, does that take anything away from the moment, or does it just look and feel somewhat different? It mostly looks and feels somewhat different. We're really lucky. The response has been so great. It has been so amazing to hear from parents and from readers, um, like parents who bought the book to read themselves and their kids like aren't letting them read it because they're too busy reading it first. Kids who want to buy second copies. I love hearing that. I love hearing that every story is hitting home and that those stories are finding their readers. And so I'm really glad to be hearing those. Um, I think that getting DMs and tweets and emails about it has been so great. And so that's been great. The reception to it has been great. We're so lucky about that. I love hearing from um, librarians and teachers too. The anthology got three-star reviews. And I really think that that helped get it into the hands of librarians and teachers. And seeing it go into classrooms and schools is is really special. Um, I can't, no book like this existed when I was a kid. And I can't imagine that my school librarian would have put it in the school. So it makes me really happy for kids to have that um, in their school libraries. I wish we were in person. I really miss seeing readers in person. So while it mostly looks different, I still am missing that reader contact. I love like squealing in excitement at the signing table with a reader. I love seeing kids clutching books to their chest. That is just really special and I miss that and I can't wait to go back to it. Um, That being said, I have no complaints about the last couple of weeks. It's been a, a really wonderful ride. I'm I'm really glad to hear that. And I, you know, I think um listeners will also just appreciate hearing the time that you take in, you know, reading those DMs, paying attention to what, you know, the, the fans are saying in response. And I'm wondering, you know, the the vast majority of my audience are educators. Mm-hmm. And for those who are listening and saying, you know, we're gonna get copies into the classroom library, into the school library. I would even say get this book into your professional development library because Catherine, as you say, a book like this certainly did not exist when we were were kids. So I just think the revolutionary uh, positive representation is really, really unique. So for those educators who are saying, you know, yes, we are we're going to be looking at this text in school, and we'd love to send our review or a video or connect with you? What are some of the possibilities and opportunities for educators uh, to connect their readers and their students with you? Absolutely. First of all, Nicole and I, both of where we edited the anthology, 
we would love to do virtual visits. So that is always a possibility. I know we'd rather be in person, but if you'd like us to zoom into your classroom, we can always set that up. We love talking to readers. Uh, so yes, that's always a possibility. Sending us an Instagram DM, sending us a Twitter DM or just a tweet on Twitter with a video, uh, pictures of, of that we can share. In general, I've noticed a lot of educators do cool things like they have the kids cover their faces with the book. That makes it so that I can reshare it and feel comfortable doing that without violating any privacy. Um, so yeah, please send us Instagram messages, tweets, emails through our website. We would love to hear from you and love to hear from your readers. Um, I know that I answer every email that I get. I answer every Twitter DM that I get uh, and every Instagram DM. I don't see every tweet that's sent to me. I have a lot of filters on my Twitter. So if you definitely want a response, send a DM either through Instagram or send me an email through my website. But I, I try to see everything. I, and again, I'm sure that process of trying to get through everything is not easy. So, um, uh, you know, appreciate that. And listeners, I'll be sure to include those links in the show notes so that um, you're able to sort of find those, those spaces on social to connect. Catherine, I'm really interested, you know, you're an award-winning author and now you've worked on multiple anthologies. To what extent do, you know, those two different roles reinforce the skills that, um, you know, you know, you, you need to bring to authorship or to that organization of an anthology, or are they completely different things for folks who are listening and thinking, I would love to go into this industry. Um, you know, what, what would you say about kind of the different skill sets that are involved or, you know, to what extent is it really a great experience that you have now done both? In terms of like the skill set required to edit an anthology versus being an author in one or just in general? Um, I either, whatever you'd like to speak to would okay. be great. <laughs> So um, being an editor of an anthology is mostly being very, very organized. So uh, we keep track of sending checks to all of our contributors, to tax forms, to making sure that deadlines happen. Um, we do edits. We do a first round of edits. We do line edits and we do copy edits on all of our stories. And our in-house editor, Marissa, also contributes to the, that editorial process. And then with Marissa, we talk about things like, what order should the stories go in? What do we do with this story that was maybe too dark and we need to get the author to, to lift it up a bit at the end? Um, how do we help this author world build without adding words because a short story is so limited in word space? Um, that author is me. I always write one of the longest stories in my anthologies. Um, so we do all of that type of work. So it's a lot of juggling of deadlines, like, oh, did we get back to so-and-so? Um, this is our rainbow came out as an audiobook too. So now we're working on getting audiobooks to our contributors and kind of negotiating that. We also made sure that we um, listened to samples from all of our audiobook narrators and that um, our audiobook narrators and the stories that they were matched with were appropriate for the gender identity of the main character and the racial background of that main character. So we did a lot of that. It is, Nicole and I are always texting each other like, hey, can you do that email? Oh, I can do this email over here. Um, so it's a lot of logistics and staying organized. And 
uh, it's a learned skill. Like I think I did better with this one than I did with It's a Whole Spiel, which was the first anthology I co-edited. Um, so it's something you kind of pick up, but it's given me a really good appreciation for the other anthologies I'm in, where I'm just a contributor and I'm not an, an editor of communicating with my editors, making sure that I don't miss deadlines because I know on the back end how terrible that is when a contributor's just like, I forgot to write a story. And you're like, oh, but now the whole thing is, ah. Um, so it's made me a better contributor to other anthologies. Uh, so that that's really great. I think in terms of how it affects like the other novels that I write, um, I don't think it changed how I address those as an author too much, but it juggling all of these projects makes me just have to be more organized. Like my Google calendar is, is color coded and I keep running lists in a notebook because uh, you know, if I'm focusing too much on this project and I forget to do something for This Is Our Rainbow, then it affects other people. So that's something I'm always keeping in mind when I'm working on an anthology is like, if I drop the ball on my own book, it affects me and I have to live with that. If I drop the ball in an anthology, there are 15 other people who get affected by me dropping the ball. So it's just made me a lot more aware and a lot more organized, uh, which is not easy. I'm not the most organized person in general. Um, if someone's interested in it, Dahlia Adler, again, uh, who is just an incredible person. Uh, she's also one of my best friends. So that's why I keep singing her praises like this. But on her website, she has a really good post about how, so you want to write an anthology uh, of how you might start an anthology, what you need to get started, how to come up with a concept, how to think about the author list. She has a really good post about that. Well, and I, I'm kind of wondering, you know, as you're walking through that, even though all of those tasks sound like, you know, heavy and weight on your shoulders, I also get the sense that it might be something that you're going to do again in the future. And I sort of wonder, you know, do you already have a few concepts that you're kicking around for potential future anthologies? Yes, Nicole and I have talked about our next anthology we would like to do, but it is not sold yet. Uh, my editor doesn't even know we're thinking about it yet. So she's going to listen to this and be like, oh, would you like to talk to me? Um, so yes, we have a, a few ideas that we're playing with and that we want to put together uh, and bring forward, but I can't be too specific because I it hasn't sold yet. I love the mystery. That's fine. Thank you for, for even kind of giving us <laughs> it's a really, bit of It's really fun, right? Because an anthology allows people to meet a new author in a bite-sized format. And I, we are really lucky with This Is Our Rainbow to include two comics and a, a story in verse. So it's also not only introducing readers to a, new for, to a new author, but to a new format. And I think that that's really cool and special. And it's the type of thing like, okay, that story doesn't work for you. No problem. Skip it. Move to the next one. You have a whole other book. There are 15 other stories for you to read. I think anthologies are just such a unique way to be looking at one subject. So I don't think I'm done with them quite yet. I'm really glad to hear that. Um, kind of switching to your skill set as an author in an interview with you again on lgbtqreads.com, which I'll link to in the show notes, um, you mentioned that a big part of your process is reading. Um, and I'm wondering if you kind of just want to expand on that a little bit, like how that does filled, uh, kind of fuel into your process. And, and maybe, uh, if you want to point us to anything that you've been reading this past year that you're thinking this is going to spark something down the road, maybe. 
Oh, that's such a good question. Yeah. So I write a lot of historical books. Um, so reading nonfiction is always a way it, it becomes a problem, right? I love reading nonfiction, but I'll get like a story idea every chapter of the nonfiction book I'm reading. So I have to kind of slow it down uh, and try to combine ideas. But um, reading is how I refill the well. It is how I learn new writing skills. So there are writers that I read and I'm like, oh, that's so cool how they set this up. I'm going to go back and reread and like watch them build this plot line or this subplot. I love when a reader or when a writer can surprise me as a reader, because the more you write, the less surprising books get. So uh, learning how to still be surprised is something that I really love. Um, I also think especially when I was learning picture books, like I read hundreds of picture books because I was like, I want to write a picture book. I don't know how to write a picture book. And my agent at the time had such a good piece of advice, which is she was like, go find a bunch of picture books that you like, you read them and they feel intuitively this, this picture book is working. And then get 32 pieces of paper and lay them out and rewrite the exact picture book onto those paper pieces of paper. And that will teach you kind of how that author constructed that book. Um, so that was really a helpful piece of advice to learn how to write picture books. And it's something that, you know, I still read and say, okay, how did Dragons Love Tacos 2 become such a funny book, mostly for adults? How did they construct this? Um, and, and, and how, how does an author keep things fresh? You know, if an author is treading on the same type of ground in a lot of their books, how did they dig into something that was new and different? Uh, that's, uh, you know, again, that kind of reverse engineering is, um, mm -hmm. um, I know that uh, a lot of the educators who are listening are going to be thinking about ways to kind of bring that as a project yeah. into their classroom. So that's just such a great share. Um, you know, I, my listeners would be so upset with me if we didn't touch on what are your words, which is such a special, special book. And I'm just wondering if there was a point in the process of working on that, that you had any kind of clue of this is going to be special, or this is going to be talked about, or this is going to get a big response. Like when was that moment? Um, you know, I'm assuming there was one. There was one. And it was when I got Andy's art for it. Uh, I really loved writing that book and it was really fun to write, but the art really made it come together and made that vision that I had of like, okay, I want words floating around characters' heads. And that was like very vague. I was like, I don't know, words around them. Um, and then when the art started to come together, I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. And it gets back to that idea of queer joy and like everything in that book is bright. It's all sunshine. There are beautiful, bold colors. Everyone's engaging with each other. Um, I just really loved how joyful that book felt. And I think the joy comes out in the art because there are moments where Ari, the main character, is anxious and worried and a little stressed out. So there were times when the art could have gotten dark, but Andy's art really kept it so light that I I feel like that is the moment when I was like, oh, kids are really going to connect to this because it stays like, don't worry, everything's bright and happy all the time um, throughout the entire, the entire book. And I, I just am so happy with how that book has done and, and how many readers it's reached. And 
the kids who are finding their words through it and the parents who are finding their words through it. Uh, I was really touched by the number of people who reached out to me and said, like, I've always wondered what my words were. And I was reading this to my kid and I figured out my words um, as an adult. And that was really cool and special. So yeah, that book keeps growing. I'm so happy to see it. Yeah. I, I mean, it comes up so frequently, any forum that I'm a part of, um, where we're talking about inclusion, that book has come up just so many times in the, in the past month and, um, deservedly. So it really is such a special text. Uh, Catherine, you know, it's the other thing that's interesting is you you're mentioning in this conversation, all of the other folks that you work with, um, in the work that you do. And I know that sometimes, uh, there's maybe a, an illusion that writers just work in their own silo and you know door closed and they never see anybody. But certainly that's that's not the sense um, in the way that you're describing your work. And I wonder again, um, with educators being our primary audience, they're always looking for ways to help students learn to collaborate and demystify yeah. that process of working with others. And I'm wondering if, just as a final note, you want to talk about um, your growth in how um, you know I'm sure that taking feedback, providing feedback is certainly a part of what you do. And, and how has sort of that art of being um, immersed in collaboration, how is that something that you have learned to do or, or tips that you have um, or things that you still are working on even now? I'm wondering if you could share that. Yeah, that's such a good question. And I do, I hear that from educators a lot. Can you talk to them about the revision process and working with an editor? Um, because when you begin to write, when you start to write fiction, you're really precious about your words because it took so much vulnerability and courage to start to write. Um, so I think that that is part of why students can be really protective of their words and not want to share them or edit them um, or get really defensive about being edited because just the act of starting to write uh, can, can be a very vulnerable moment and take a lot of courage for a lot of students, especially students who, to whom storytelling might not be a natural act, right? Like I've been writing since I was like a tiny child dictating stories to their mother. Um, my mom kept all of them. They're basically fan fiction of my life where I had a farm and no siblings. So um, I've been writing as long as I can remember, but there are other writers who who haven't been writing as long as they can remember and learning to write vulnerably and write fiction is is difficult and challenging so really um i think the best thing that my agents have done for me and my editors have been done for me is acknowledge that i might have anxiety about seeing art or not having enough control over the art process um, I think that was one of the biggest challenges for me was not being edited for my novels, but to start to work with an artist and say like half of a picture book is told by somebody who isn't me. So I might have a vision for it, but I don't have total control over what the illustrator wants to put down on the page. And I shouldn't have total control. A picture book really is collaboration. Um, but having somebody say like, I know you're going to be nervous about this, but so-and-so is a great illustrator. They know what they're doing. Read, go read their other work. Look at what they do. Um, give us good feedback. But no, like they're, they're half of this team. And making space for that person is really important. I think that one of the things that 
is really important for writers of all ages is learning. So I need to make space for this, but also this thing is really important to me. It was really important to me that the houses in uh, what are your words look a certain way because it was based off my childhood neighborhood. So when the first sketches came in, I was like, but I want the houses to look this way. This is important. I wrote this with the idea that they're walking around in my old neighborhood. And to me, that's important. So uh, the houses were changed to look more like my own neighborhood. Um, so, and then there are other things, you know, with novels where an editor might say like, hey, what do you think about changing this? And I might say, I don't want to change that. that. This part is important to me in this story. But an editor might say, what about changing this? And I go, oh yeah, you know what? That's a good call. That's a very good call. That just comes with practice. The more you collaborate, the easier it gets to collaborate. So the more you practice at it, the easier it gets to say, yes, this is important to me or no, I can give this up because that makes sense. I understand the logic behind it. Neil Gaiman has this phrase he put on his Tumblr one time, probably like 15 years ago now. Uh, if someone tells you what's wrong with your story, they're probably, sorry. If someone tells you there's something wrong with your story, they're probably right. If they tell you how to fix it, they're probably wrong. So I think about that a lot is like, okay, if someone says this part is wrong, what is, what's behind that for them, right? So like, okay, actually what my editor is trying to say here is that my character motivations aren't strong enough. If I don't want to lose this section, how can I fix character motivations in a different section to address this concern of hers? Um, so kind of thinking about things like that and then probably addressing that to students that way. Instead of saying, this scene is bad, explaining the idea behind why that scene is bad. Say something more like, I don't think that your character's goals are coming through here, or this doesn't feel true to your character here, or this feels like a departure in pacing and voice. Can you explain more or fix this? Um, my editor uses the phrase recast a lot. So can you look at this again, recast it on the page? Uh, so yeah, really thinking about the problem behind what's not working and teaching students to critique each other with that same thing. Instead of this is bad, what isn't working about this? Be more specific. Is it the characters don't feel real? The dialogue feels flat. You're not sure where the, the action is happening. Be more specific than this is, this is bad. You know, what, what strikes me is that as you're describing your process, you know, where you mentioned this idea of giving the other person space uh, you know, both if if you are giving or receiving the feedback, it strikes me that that's baked into your process, and that's also sort of the outcome of what your your books are doing out in the world too. Is reminding us to also make more space for all the folks who exist. Um, thank you so much for for all of that advice, all of that wisdom, listeners. Uh, please do again if the books are not in your classroom libraries, your home libraries, your local libraries, uh, do reach out and get that order in. And then, of course, head over to the show notes, find ways to connect with Catherine Locke, um, and and to connect your your learners with Catherine Locke's work as well. Thank you so much for giving up your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. 